Hello and welcome to the Eastern Kicks podcast, a regular magazine program about East Asian film led by me, Andrew Heskins, founder and grandmaster of EastonKicks.com, and James Mudge, our leading writer. Hey, Each episode we'll be taking a look at the latest films, news and festivals, often chatting to filmmakers and stars along the way. Welcome to our latest show. This episode we're taking a look back at Johnny Toe's 2003 classic PTU with another of our contributors, Kai Van Zolen. Hello. Later in the show, we'll have some more Eastern Kicks picks for you to track down on various streaming services, <laughs> if you can. Uh, meanwhile, Stephen Palmer shares some thoughts on My Left Eye Sees Ghosts. But firstly, we've got that all-important question. <laughs> what are you drinking this episode, James? Um, I have a very uh, modestly priced Spanish red wine, which has been in the fridge chilling. And I'm oh. going to kill that for the episode. So, and, nice. Well, not that nice, but it'll do. And yourself? So I've, I've gone quite traditional here myself. Mm. I've got a triple Carmelite. That looks damn fancy. Which is 8.4%. Oh, that is not good old, old school Belgian beer. Yeah, very Can't really go wrong. Kai, have you got anything to drink this episode? I've got a uh, Cardo single malt 12-year-old. Very nice. Mm. There you go. <laughs> hey, this is good. The next episode, <laughs> ever, everyone's on brand and we're all doing well. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> So let's get on with the chat about mm. PTU. Um, should we start with a little a, quite a summing up of the plot? Yes, I'll, I'll go into great length and great detail about it, telling you pretty much everything that happens in the film. Or um, I'll just say there's a, an incompetent cop loses his gun. Um, we have a lot of blur. He's trying to get it back, kind of against the background of like you know interdepartmental problems and blurring of the line between cops and criminals. <laughs> Succinct, <laughs> but but no, it's, it is. It's one of those films though uh, where uh, technically a lot of stuff happens, but it does kind of boil down to that. It's more like that kind of you know chessboard type thing of different things moving around and you know different. There's lots of different characters. Kind yeah, exactly. Of moving around. And yeah, it's it's almost like a it's almost like a farce kind of a level of these characters kind of running <laughs> yeah. into each other and what happens next. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even when you, some, I don't know, certainly some of the, the like the stills and stuff you see, it, it does look like the chessboard kind of at times, the way they're kind of mm. positioned and stuff like that and the characters not quite facing off against each other but being moved around. So it's, it's that kind of thing where it's both, it could be described as being complicated or incredibly simple. And um, like I was saying to you before, like Limbo, you know, similar type of thing, you know, the Soy Chang's recent one, uh, which a lot actually happens in it, but at the same time, it's you can boil the whole thing down just to that kind of one line. And I think it's interesting that the limbo um, it, it actually kind of borrows a bit mm. from the, 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 the main, the central plot, the nice of the, the, the missing gun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there were other films that did it too, like Luchuan's The Missing Gun. Oh uh, yes, from two thousand and two. Actually, yeah, the missing gun. That's true. Um, these, the, there's a bit of it that goes on in Johnny Toe's later Mad Detective as well. There's yeah, a bit of a, yeah. a bit. There's this idea of the the police gun when it goes missing, mm-hmm. um, and there's no reason for it. That could lead to a lot of trouble for for those concerned. It's a, it's quite a recurring thing, but it's true. Yeah, I mean, I think you know we should say off the off the bat here, we're not going to try and cover Johnny Toe's filmography no, by any chance so we are kind of gonna <laughs> gonna look at this um in the we, context we're of we're not gonna talk about all 55 films in one go <laughs> it's, it's it's that but but you know but also <laughs> does that include the ones that he later revealed that he directed <laughs> by Patrick know, Yao? sure I, I, might it be up <laughs> or, up to 60 or or all the uh, milky way image productions on top of that Plus all the 80s comedies that you cannot get anywhere anymore. Yeah, true. Well, exactly, exactly. There's no way we can cover everything. No. So I do think that uh, for me, it's always it's one of the few times when Lamsford, who is always a sideman in Johnny Toe films, mm. actually is... And most films. And most films, He's yeah. He's really, um, really is centre stage. Mm-hmm. Yes, and his character is not named Fatty for once. 
<laughs> Although I saw that in, in the later sequels, his, he's reduced to his now his name is Low, and then it's Fatty Fatty Low in, in, in the sequels. <laughs> it does sound like his kind of his fate. You know? Yes, and he does still have that thing here that that a classic Hong Kong comedy staple where he has a mole with a large hair going out of it. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Which is all part of this wonderful introduction where he makes a kid do push-ups and forces a gangster of their own ta- of their own table in a restaurant, <laughs> just to make clear what kind of an asshole he is. <laughs> it, it really sets him up quite well, doesn't it? I think. It's yes. Beautiful kind of, you know, and he's 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 a bit naughty, but he's actually he's not a bad person. It's more just he's bumbling not a bad, and a bit, yeah. bit, bit useless, and you know, yeah, he's not. And that's that's what's interesting about it is because he's not you know he's obviously a you know a cop and stuff but he's kind of morally questionable behavior a bit questionable but yeah he's not actually a bad he's not actually a bad guy in that respect or anything which which is kind of the you know that whole era then of those cops are sort of being real real realistic people who have like problems like everybody else mm. yes and I think that's one of the main themes of the film is is this line where cops do questionable behavior and might not be entirely lawful what they're doing but yet the way it's framed it's still sympathetic mm-hmm. yeah uh, and it's not and it's not it's also not for the greater good either it's kind of a personal thing in this respect yes. it's not that what he's doing you know trying to get his gun back actually doesn't help anyone he's just trying to get it back for himself and everything but that, i like the way that's not framed as some you know, I like the way this kind of all the different aspects of the film, which we've not got into the different parts of the plot. You know, it, it, everything does kind of overlap, tie together, and that comes about. You know, the, the whole pieces on a chessboard type thing. I, mm. like, I like the way it all moves together. Narratively, it is it's very nicely constructed. But there isn't, yeah. and I like that sort of lack of. It's not you know, for the greater good. There isn't. It's this sort of smaller personal stake for yeah. him trying to get his gun back because he's a bit of a fool. <laughs> you know, that's quite. I quite. I like yes. that. Which is just kind of reflects the way the film was made or the way Toe sees it as his personal film and he made it over a course of three years while making other films. I didn't know that. Uh, And so that's part of the reason why it's all shot at night because it was easier to make that way. He said uh, no crowd control Mm, in the streets. Um, So he could shoot it cheaply after. (laughs) That's why we've got all the same actors and cinematographers editors and assistant directors from his other films because they would shoot this at night after mm. another making <laughs> while making other films uh and he wanted to make this i think even in 2000 and he, he just he just said to i'm not sure which executive from another company said just give me a small budget mm-hmm. i'll shoot it during other stuff and at some point you'll get a film out of it for, for uh, enough, mm. you wouldn't know you wouldn't guess that from seeing the, no no yeah, and the and film, I, I, I it's actually feels wonderfully taking place over the course of one night it's, mm. it does it's, it's very yeah, tight that must have been really tough with the cast and everything um yeah you know because obviously they'd have all been working on different can you continuity uh, mm. wow that must have been <laughs> continuity must have been heavy for that you know yes. and, and, and the hong kong cinema isn't necessarily the best for the continuity no no no, so, no to actually much. do such a convincing job yeah, of there's it. a striking example of that with uh, the Early interrogation scene in the um, uh, the arcade mm-hmm. when there's this sort of henchman who is slapped a lot while he t- interrogates the other guy, mm-hmm. and that kid was an extra who got slapped over two hundred times during the scene. Like <laughs> the scene, actually suffered hearing loss because of that. Oh, wow! <laughs> and then six months later, Toe refused the scene and says, "This doesn't feel right. I need to do it again." <laughs> and he had to beg and beg that guy to come back for that scene. <laughs> uh, and eventually he did it. It's, uh, that does uh, sound very Hong Kong cinema, though, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that's, one, that's one of the things you have to... I'm, I'm sure there's other stories from that, even from some of his other productions. I mean, mm. some, of, some, some more of these stories which we've kind of like grown up hearing about the craziness of shooting Hong Kong films and the, whether it's stuff like this and the stunts or the... Or even just the you know the idea of a city as dense, they populated as Hong Kong and like so busy and whatnot and everything like managing because it is it's not eerily quiet but it is 
it is rather you know different mm. so different too and he did the same with like throwdown and stuff as well but it's it, so shooting it at night and everything this kind of mix of some like mad practical decision and reason for doing it that way and then how it turned out and stuff it's it's fascinating mm. yes it's, i love the way all this because there's life teeming in the city but in the background it's it, it in there's noises there's scenes where yeah. you hear a party going on or mm-hmm. some kind of kind of music or sounds or cars or but it's in the foreground it's this almost eerily quiet at times mm. which is just it's, i've never seen in i've been to hong kong you know quite often never never <laughs> seen that in hong kong <laughs> which is really and so the fact that they've done it and the fact that he did it over such a period of time and stuff is amazing what do you think about i mean a lot of people always say that it's, it's um Accused of being kind of style over substance. Well, I say that the style is the substance to throw in mm. an old chestnut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just nicely turned around. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> answering it with a some vague, with proper vagueness. <laughs> oh, I know I, you mean it. Yeah, no, we I mean saying that about the, the in the same way that we said the plot is both incredibly simple, and then if you broke it down to each individual like substrand of the narrative and the different characters, and you could make it sound really complex. So. And there's not massively much to it, but then it's uh, you. Have, you could say that about a lot of Hitchcock films. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it keeps. I, I keep saying this like chessboard. Yeah. You kind of idea. You have your, you have your characters. You move them. You know. You move them around and stuff. And you're, there isn't massively the underlying themes, but then there is. None of the characters are. You know. They're they're all. You could say basic, but they're all well rounded. They're all actually written. They all have a, a motivation, a purpose, everything, and how they all play off each other, is really well done. So I mean. And it's it's stylish, but it's not over stylized. Mm. I don't I don't think in the same way, some of, maybe some of his other stuff is with more with more slow motion. I mean, like Sparrow is much more stylized. Yeah, for example, yeah. again, not in a bad way at all. And that again, that would be a film where you'd say that the style is a substance. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I and this I I think it is in some ways like a fairly stripped down film in yeah. that respect. But I don't think that's in a bad way. Yeah, for PTU. No, and. Uh, one thing I think, if the style is just good, what's the well, that's what's true the problem? Well. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's also true because it's not a long film or, or anything. No, so it's no, not no, like it's, a uh, classic sort of eighty-eight minutes. Yeah, kind exactly. Of. I love it. Sub ninety, anything like that's fantastic. So uh, it doesn't like you know offend or overstay the welcome in any case. You mm. know, I don't have any problem with that. No, and I think it also fits in 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 Chinatou's thematical oeuvre of that that kind of that it all. How much chance and luck play mm. a factor in life? It's only it's not yeah. overstated in this film as much as it is, or not overstated. I mean, it's not as upfront as it is, for instance, in Throwdown or uh, mm. other films. But it is there, especially in the ending. Uh, yeah, there, there, yeah. There's definitely a kind of what you say: it's coincidence, luck, karma, fate. I'm guessing karma just tying into other themes he's used in other films and stuff but, mm. but yeah it's it's not overdone or it's not you know, it's more a thematic coincidence rather than a you know the whole narrative was built towards some you know coincidental plot twist you know? yeah, it no, never feels no, like no. that you know no there is something to be said that um, police brutality is a thing <laughs> in this film <laughs> which I don't know if that for you that plays different now than it did before um after I don't all, know all I the mean, things we've seen in the news in the last few years. I mean, I'm kind of used having grown up watching stuff like the Untold Story, Daughter of Darkness, and the Category Three stuff. The police were always, you know, the Hong Kong police were always <laughs> kind of phone book police. You know, they're not quite, quite put the phone book there, then hit them, so we don't show the bruises. <laughs> you know, so having not had any, have never run foul of the Hong Kong police myself. Um, you know, I'm not speaking from any experience, but. I think even before these films, you know, the Hong Kong police in films from the 90s onwards, whereas, you know, you had, even when they were being kind of like heroic, even in the John Woo films and stuff, there was always like a counterpoint, whether it was like the heroic hitman was there and stuff as mm. well. So the, heroic, the Hong Kong yeah, police have that's... never been massively heroic in, in, no, in no. films. Uh, even like Danny Lee, he always had prostitutes. Yeah. You know, he always had a prostitute with him when he was there. When he was the, the chief or whatever he was, you know, so they they've always been a bit like that. So I don't. There's nothing True. in PT which stands out. Too I guess it's only here because it. This is most of it's all done, not to foil some criminal or make some arrest or something. Basically, just to protect this one guy's uh, loss of his gun. 
yeah, to cover that. Um, it's it's only to cover his ass, basically. I, I think we see that in quite a lot of film. Uh, quite a lot. I mean, there's quite a few other films where not. I mean, we've talked about it, the missing gun kind of scenario, but other ones where a cop has done something wrong. Um, I mean, even in the Infernal Affairs thing uh, films, it's still it's not so much other cops covering it up, but it's still like whether you know. Andy Lau is kind of the cop in that there, and and you know the tension is kind of coming from the fact that he's done something wrong, or you know, completely everything he does is something wrong. But you've always it's always been a, a theme where like the cop has done something either morally wrong or practically wrong, and the plot is kind of revolving around that tension of is he going to get found out? Is what's going to happen to him then? As you know, he's both supposed to be this figure of upholding the law, but clearly breaking it, whether for personal reasons or for practical reasons. So I don't. I don't know. I mean, Hong Kong police are. We started to see. I mean, this again goes back into like the post handover thing. We did start to see more stuff in things like Cold War, and some of those other ones where gradually, especially post Infernal Affairs, where I see whatever they were called and stuff, start to take a much more prominent yeah. role in films, everything like that. And we start to see more of a heroic bureaucracy almost in some of these later films. Everything. I mean, the interesting part about that is that the. You get back to the sort of seventies when mm. those there were programs, dramas commissioned by yeah. that department yeah, yeah. that happened to be made by the new wave and the other sort of the, the following on from the new wave in Hong yeah. Kong. Mm-mm-mm. Sure, yeah. you know, and so yeah. I think that's kind of where it starts to set in this sort of strange grey area because to make something dramatic, it's yeah, you know, you've got to you, you can't you you're just not going to be a villain. Mm-hmm. Or a, a cop doing bad, you've got to kind of understand them so you can sympathise. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. It's a fair point about it. Um, but yeah, in, in general, though, um, that sort of moving more recent kind of development aside, I think you know Hong Kong cops are not you know seen as being squeaky clean for so much, and the police brutality is in some in some films it's pronounced like in some of the category three ones I mentioned. You know, it's kind of for comedy, but kind of satire. Uh, certainly, in a lot of Fermin Yao uh, films, but it's quite rare to see a completely clean and heroic cop. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess, and even in front of the first Tony Leung, you know, he's, he's still, you know, doing stuff with the gang. He's still yeah. sn- snorting some lines, everything. So, it, so, so, I don't know. I mean, looking, I mean, now obviously with the Hong Kong police being what they are, um, it, I guess when you look back at some of this stuff, this is just like a logical. <laughs> Logical and sad development things, I don't know. How do you feel about the music as a film? Oh, it's just, I mean, it's kind of it's. I mean, it's not an uncommon thing for a Hong Kong film to have. It's very slow and melancholy. Mm. It seems. I mean, some of the it, some of it seems to be sort of like, uh, like slow, almost kind of folky versions of things like Hotel California. At least one of the main themes sounds like it's Hotel California. <laughs> But they seem to be like like old kind of seventies, sixties, seventies pop hits, but played in a very. But that's that's quite. I mean, I I think that's quite common for Hong Kong films to have that kind of. Because you think of the, um, John Woo having that. Yeah, kind yeah, of, John Woo definitely. I, it didn't make a massive. There's nothing good or bad I can remember mm. about it. Put it that way. No, I just noticed it. It just it's a apart from being a lot of guitar solos. Uh, electric guitar solos um there's this specifically one scene where they one by one go up this abandoned building to the stairwell and it would be a very tense scene if not for the music that's the one yeah. flaw i found basically <laughs> the scene is but like, then that's that's deliberate because actually 
I'll True, tell you but what, because 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 one thing that's quite interesting about Johnny Toe is he he does actually you know sometimes he uses music really really very well, mm. um, and also he's he's one of the people who's more often and particularly creating this kind of genre um, is much more kind of European mm. focused in in what he does. So like um, you go back to Longest Nights mm. and he, he uses. Like the full length version of The Chase by Giorgio Moroder for a Midnight Express is kind of going on, or it might be actually kind of extended it for about 10 minutes in the background. And it's really used nicely. Yeah. You know, and then you get him using people like uh, Xavier Bang mm-hmm. um, on Motorway and uh, other films he's producing and, and directing. He did the music for Sparrow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's so got a French composer, a guy he was um, in a band with the guys from Air at one point. Oh, really? um, okay. You know, so you've got, again, you've got something that's much. Much more, I don't want to say sophisticated, but it's a bit different from the kind of the the kind of Hong Kong approach to music that mm. that we know and and love, which actually using the chase is quite part a part of where you've <laughs> exactly. nicked it from somebody else's film and not credited them. <laughs> Maybe synced it up a little bit, mm. but not much. <laughs> so you know that 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 what, that scene has been done deliberately, and and you know he he's deliberately not done it in a tense way. I think that's part of it. Is mm-hmm. there is a lot of melancholy to it? There is a kind of a mm. weird almost wistful kind of and it because he's chosen that kind of music rather than you know like some of the the, the shootout is again is against a very very slow mm. you know he could have had a very action-packed you know and it'd be very yeah. kind of a, a hollywoody kind of thing to do and True. instead he's got this kind of wistful you know approach to it this when these guys are uh the the ptu guys are running around in the van and, and walking around it's always followed by quite a slow, you know, almost kind of, there's a lot of kind of, you know, the, the slow electric guitar solos or there's, you know, a mix of kind of acoustic-y kind of mm-hmm. sounds. That, that it's, it's quite wistful. Yeah. You know, it, it's, a, it's a very deliberate, mm-hmm. deliberate take on the music, I think. Mm-hmm. True. I do think though, in, in that climax, it does drop out a couple of times specifically to get some kind of tension in those specific scenes. There's a specific scene where the... The CID, the lady detective, mm. she drops her gun in a nice mirroring thing. And then she's trapped in the car and this other gangster walks by her with the car. And you see this, um, you see the gun on the, through the window. Um, I think Careful now, David, no spoilers. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. If you want more about that, I think David Bordwell wrote a, a very a great blog post about that once, about mm. that scene. But that's when suddenly the sound drops. And then when that, short scene of tension is over the guitars flare up again mm. <laughs> so there's these moments where it does go for tension i think but yeah it's true it's much more about this melancholy air and in some way i think that's giving sympathy to these these characters who are kind of wandering through the the um you know midnight hong kong and just seemingly just kind of running into trouble wherever they turn their head <laughs> whichever corner yes. they put their head around Yes, and it's also true, I guess, in the other scene where they go up the stairs, it's not so much about what if they're in danger or what they will find. It's about the decision of the rest of the team, whether or not to join him on this non-essential mission. Yeah. Mm. Uh, because they're not going up there to protect anybody or do anything. Mm. There's no sign of that. It's just, you know, those guys that might know where the gun is might be up there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think it's quite interesting to look at this in the perspective of, of, of this this creation of or this uh, of a this real kind of crime drama, Mm-mm. you know, and that 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 Johnny Toe is still doing all sorts of of different sorts of films, yeah, um, and 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 still carries on to do all sorts of different films that are a lot less lately, which mm-hmm. we'll come on to later, I think. Um, but yeah, just definitely in this era era, he's he's yeah still doing all the romantic comedies and, and just kind of more straight ahead comedies and ghost films and. All that kind of thing, but I always kind of feel that this this really grew out of the stuff, the the real kind of the, the creation of Milky Way image and, yeah. and that sort of late nineties. Mm. As I say, some of the films that that he's credited with, and some of those that it was later revealed that he did for for Patrick Yao, yeah, um, which yeah actually happened to be some of the best ones, like The Longest Night, which is long. I mean, yeah, The Longest Night is still one of the still one of my favorite ones for sure of any kind of period of Hong Kong crime cinema. 
It's a, you know, not quite category three rated, but still very brutal. Very brutal. Very yeah. brutal, very yeah. tense. But, and, you know, it's got that full, you know, immoralness to it and everything. Even just the way it's shot, it's nice. Man. Yeah. That's a fantastic film. But when you kind of think about that, you know, and then you have things like the, the mission and... Mm. Uh, expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected, and then you start to get into you know like a, uh, into the early noughties. You've you've, you've got yeah, the running out of me, time. You've got full time killer. Th- those films always yeah. felt to me like that the transition into a different era for him, from the yeah. mission yeah. onwards. And because uh, uh, even when you say uh, like the longest night, and for instance. Hero never dies. That still feels into an older mold of heroic bloodshed, mm. and then the mission gets into this kind of more slightly laid back, more kind of cool kind of Johnny Toe in 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 the grime genre at least. And I think you've got this. There's an easing off of those action scenes, I yeah. think as well, which I think is if you kind of put it in perspective of what was happening at the same time. 2002, of course, you've got Infernal Affairs, and you've yeah. got this kind of. Mm. Um, James and I have talked about it previously. This kind of little kind of mini resurgence of this as a as a crime genre. It also feels like something that that to a certain extent that that Johnny Toe realised he could sell a bit more easily to to other territories yeah, than oh, yeah. you know maybe Running on Karma or yeah, you know, <laughs> you know all these kind of battier kind film. of films that he was doing that, that played very well with. Hong Kong audiences, but um, there was definitely around 2002, mm. 2003, 2004, you know, obviously there were Infernal Affairs sequels. Yeah. Um, you had, uh, you, you coming into this a bit, you had Benny Chan doing Heroic mm. Duo and Divergence. I'm not sure. <laughs> I love Heroic Duos, but it's so wacky. I'm not yeah. sure that fit. That's like... You know the hypnosis and everything like that. I'm never sure if that fits into this. It's a it's a really interesting one, which I, I would like to watch again because it is it's it's a strange film, man. in a good in a very good sort of very like uniquely Hong Kong way. But yeah. I, I think the, you know whereas these ones we're talking about is as you say it's, it's more of this crime. It kind of gets away. You know, this stuff we were talking about. So some of the stuff he was doing, Patrick Yao and stuff, was kind of. Uh, to me, it reminds me more of some of those older ones from the seventies, like you know, Cops and Robbers, mm. things who I can't remember who directed it. There was, you know, <laughs> there, there was two or three in that same period, uh, and they're they're like the they're like these ones. There's a sort of True Life series as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they're more like um, you have the cop stuff, and you have instead of like John Woo's kind of like you know sort of ramped up like machismo, heroic bloodshed, mm. homoerotic. This was more sort of like cops with the sort of touch of like everyday. Like soap opera, you know, it was the cops sort of getting back to that. You know, you think about like uh, stuff like expect the unexpected. You, you know, so much of it is sort of spent on sort of getting to know them and hanging around in some like sort of crappy cheap restaurants on stakeouts and just chatting about stuff and everything like that. And I, I think that's what some of the stuff we were seeing in the early two thousands. We were exploring a lot this kind of like line blurring of this line between cops and criminals. Mm. As you know, the mall is the sort of same everyday type of people and everything and of mm. course this is like post I mean it's in, yeah I mean in it, well there is that isn't it yeah. I think it has a whole new kind of gravitas because you've got yeah you've yeah obviously that comes into things like City on Fire where mm. you've got that that you know yeah. films where you've got the kind of classic undercover person and you've even got wuxia versions of, of, of that have a mm. bit of a take on that yeah, yeah. Um, like La for Fishery and stuff like that mm. they've all got a little kind of a twist on it but this is a, a cooler in all sorts of ways yeah. take on it. The way it's filmed, the way it's dealt with. It's a little... I think these films tend to kind of dial back on some of the... You know, as you said, yeah, some of the, kind of the, the classic Hong Kong kind of... Yeah, but I, the hero bloodshed, but they dial back on the, 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 the some of the, the zaniness. Yeah, or there's no, none of the, not so much like the two-handed guns. But I think as well, this was like, you know, when Johnny Toe was... You're getting becoming more of a festival darling in the yeah. West, you know, like you know, his, his films were getting starting to get screened more and more and stuff, and people like Tarantino were talking him up and everything. So, and I think you, you can know. almost argue that this is the film that just this is the one that kind of really tips it over I think the so. edge because yeah, 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 this this so. the one that sort of gets picked up, and then mm-hmm. yeah, his next film in this model, which is the, another amazing film, Breaking News. Yeah, it plays yeah. a cans, yeah, you know, yeah, and then yeah. from then on, he's a bit he is a complete festival darling. Yeah, yes. that kind of That's, series of. That's how I uh, originally did even you know, discovered him. You know, and you've got him. Election and see it, mm. one and two. And... 
That's how, that's how I got into them through festival films. Because uh, in Rotterdam in 2007, they had a whole retrospective. Oh, I would, I would, that would have been nice to see. I had, I, I had never yeah. heard of Johnny Toe, and I yeah. decided, oh, this looks good, Hong Kong crime stuff. And in one day, I saw Election, Election 2, and Exiled. Mm. One morning and one afternoon, and uh, that was it. That was completely sold, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be cool because we not too, it didn't really make it to the UK as much. I think it's fair to say a lot of these films, everything because UK. I mean, UK film festival scene is a bit shite anyway. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the, the, uh, some of them started to drop into things like London Film Festival, where of course London Film Festival later is on, best later film in the world is, is copying what Toronto, other, especially. Yeah. Um, no, you know, because election on. screened as part of London film. Maybe festival. from like, yeah, maybe from that kind of period. Maybe, maybe and they got they got a reasonable UK release. I can't remember if it was Studio Canal or something. Somebody like released, up, but, think, yeah. you know, I think particularly the two election films in Exile were quite excellent. Yeah, that came yeah. out as well. But I think in that early that early two thousands period when stuff like PTU, um, even Throwdown and stuff like mm. that, it wasn't penetrating so much. Into, I mean, to the mainstream UK releasing, I mean, guys like us would have would have heard of it. But uh, it, at that stage, he was still. I don't know. It's an interesting. We're calling him a festival darling because it's still. It's this weird thing where you take some of these films, which are not. I mean, not artistic, but they're not. They're by no means art house films, and you just suddenly had this thing of whether it's Cannes, whether you know, in Venice it was a happy hunting ground, you, you know, for him and stuff, but. It's like suddenly it was kind of decided that Johnny Toe wasn't just a great director, but he was, you know, an auteur and mm. whatnot and everything. And, you know, he was kind of bundled in with people like Wong Kar Wai and stuff, even though obviously they're completely, you know, they're completely different kinds of films and everything. Even when they're, you know, even when Wong Kar Wai was doing semi-crime stuff, you know, like Chongqing Express and everything. But it is that kind of Western festival thing where it's like somebody somewhere had a meeting, probably French, and they decided... <laughs> <laughs> and from then on he just was you know he was loved and sort of brought up by well and, that, and then he kind of gets on to his umbrellas of Schoberg sparrow which is, <laughs> yeah 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 you know, exactly I mean, classically exactly. yeah really kind exactly. of going for that that and, and exactly. after that he even made a film with uh johnny holiday right. That's, That's correct. Vengeance. Vengeance. vengeance yeah, which yeah, I think, yeah, I, I mean, I really like Vengeance. Vengeance which, was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's solid. And it even started out, I think, originally as a supposed Hong Kong remake of uh, a Melville film. Uh, yeah. Le Samurai. No, uh, Le, oh. The Red Circle. Oh, okay. I think okay. that was originally, they even talked about remaking that with. Uh, Alan Delon? Alan yeah. Delon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just. And then he decided. It didn't work out, and then this t- turned into vengeance with another Frenchman. <laughs> <laughs> it, were, it was a good film, though. Uh, and it was that was very much in that kind of exiled the mission, you know, type mm. of mold, which were all. I mean, the mission's one of those films that, you know, it, it kind of not mythic status, but it became known as being this kind of, you know, so uh, not just a cult classic, but a kind of respected one, you know, again, comes into this auteur. Type stuff which I don't really subscribe to too much, but and you know obviously a lot of that was kind of after the fact uh, I think as well because you know when it came out it didn't get as much attention in the West, but then you know fast forward about five six years, especially after stuff like Throwdown, mm. his homage to Kurosawa and everything was there. <laughs> you know he was getting treated seriously by sort of you know critical critics. Uh, you know, but I think some some of the the earlier films that have kind of been reevaluated, and some others have just been ignored. And mm. as you know, we'll probably talk about it. But you know, they, they just conveniently ignore his romantic comedies and everything like that. And some people are generally probably quite surprised or just don't believe it. They say, "Oh, he just did it for the money or whatever." Whereas you know, his as you said, like his whole you know career, he's switched between so many different genres the entire time. So yes, and I think that also um, it just shows by the fact that. After that retrospective that I just mentioned in Rotterdam, mm. they didn't show another film of him for five or six years, even though he kept making them. <laughs> Only until Drug War came along. I said, oh, here's another big gangster film with action set pieces. That's the Johnny yeah. Toe we know. So we'll program that. Yeah. yeah I once yeah, got into yeah. an argument about it with the programmer of that uh, section. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but I, I mean, it's, and it's fair enough, I guess. I mean, he's. You know, for Western viewers, especially in that kind of period for Asian cinema and then post-Infernal Affairs and stuff like that, you know, it's hard enough to sell to 
your average audience at the best of times. So yeah. like, it's not really a surprise that there was kind of both a focus on the, the action or the kind of like poetic action compared to you know John Woo's heroic bloodshed, and also this idea of him as you know a, a craftsman of Hong Kong cinema and everything. True. Neither neither of which is unfair, but I can see why that would be a focus. It's a much easier sell. Mm. Yeah, and, and action, of course, it translates easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly, and, and he exactly. is good at it, so it's not even a. No, no, you know, of it's, course, it's, yeah. it's not inaccurate. It's just, it just remains very interesting. Like, you know, um, how much of his CV probably will always remain unknown to a lot of people. Mainstream who, Western yeah. audiences, you know, yeah. and, uh, from someone who has, you know, has has crossed over, you know, and it's just kind of you look at his filmography uh, as uh, uh, this era we're talking about, which we're mm. kind of getting into the sort of the the noughties and the the early tens, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and you know some years you know easily kind of directing a couple of films yeah sometimes two or three two or three films a year and then all the ones he produced as well and lots of there was definitely a lot of the films that he was doing Mm. you know like with soi chiang on on accident that felt very very squarely into Mm. the same model the very similar kind of model of the the crime hitman police kind of drama (laughs) yeah and then it just uh died really after that well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah i mean from drug war i, I guess. think yeah it's like drug war is the the kind of the, the well you saw the writing on the wall i think i mean i i don't know i mean that's my uh, you know that, that was i think for a lot of us when drug war was coming out um you know it was first you know maybe greeted with a bit of dismay and then you know his first mainland action film so the idea was is johnny toe trying to work within the chinese system the mainland system or He's selling out to the Chinese system. What's happening? And then you know when it came out, it was a good film. Mm. The Drug War is a really good film, reasonably successful film as well. Did well even in, in mainland. It didn't do too badly at the box office and stuff. So, and there was kind of you know briefly a bit of hope for Hong Kong mainland productions and the yeah. you know, thinking that we you know people could still make these kind of uh, you know hard edged, morally interesting you know kind of uh, thrillers. I mean, there's not much action in Drug War, but it is a it's a very tense film. It's well done, and even to the way when he was shooting in China, he did a great job of, you know, making use of kind of the because obviously the Chinese scenery is so different to kind of like the claustrophobia and the sort of shadowiness and the neon of Hong Kong and stuff. So he did a really good job with drug war, but then after that, yeah, it just well, I guess you could so kind of anyway. uh, reflect the what was happening at, at the time well, in precisely. terms of uh, yeah. well, uh, I, I don't the entirely. mainland. <laughs> agree with the notion that it's it's over for, after drug war because i think well, it's what well, i don't think it's this over it's, probably I know, it's, it's, just, it's a real slowdown his of, productivity of product. yeah. his productivity is over you know I mean, I mean, I, when you've gone from doing from right. easily directing five, sometimes up like four or five a year and, yeah and then even then That's you're true. still doing a couple of films a year producing but three mm. or four but i think i mean i don't know i think i don't not just for johnny toe but i can't see him ever making those the kind of films he's made before again so and even just looking at the recent stuff he's done, um, you know, I mean, you never you never say it's over for somebody, but he doesn't seem no. like somebody who's particularly keen to get back into it that much because it's very very difficult to get back into it that much. <laughs> no, right, right. Yeah, I just mean I think actually one of his finest films was made after Drug War, but um, which, yeah, which one? Which, it's uh, Don't Go Breaking My Heart Two. Uh, but yes. in typical yeah, fashion, yeah, yeah. Okay, it didn't okay. get much of a release in the West anywhere, I think. But no, no, no. It did. It did get released in the UK because I I saw it in a Sydney world, definitely. Um, but that might have been one of those in that era of. I can't remember. Yeah, it I could think be. it might have been a sort of day and date kind of. Yeah, screen for Panton Street. This was up in Glasgow. <laughs> oh, okay. Actually, I remember it was definitely Sydney world there. But um, but you're right. I can't remember the sir. You're right. He wouldn't have got a wide release and everything, but. Um, and yeah, you're right. But when, when we say it's kind of, it's not it's finished for him. But I think the action part of him is done. He can continue making, if he wants to, sort of romantic comedies which suit the mainland audience. Um, but I mean, I, I mean, I, I hated chasing chasing dream. To, to be fair, yeah. Do you know the story? Are the rumors behind that? Or uh, I read. Yeah, I mean, I read some of the parts of, about the story. But it's still. I don't want to get into that, but. Oh, you know you can you for free. It's just, but I don't. I don't think it's those kind of situations are going to be uncommon with with a lot of these films and everything moving right. forwards for any Hong Kong filmmakers and everything. So I can't. 
I, I can't for for someone like him if he if he gets back into making these films it's not it's neither going to be like massively financially beneficial and you know the whole milky way thing um it wasn't so much initially i think a creative enterprise it was more like a much more efficient production model because mm. it was the same people working together and they could they could shoot like four or five films back to back using shared cast screenwriters directors producer which is probably why so many of these times we're saying who actually directed this i mean it probably is you know they were directing together and then probably he he buggered off for one or two days to the set of another film with someone else took over so uh, which is well yeah i mean he, i mean if you look at uh, the assistant direct actually i've yeah. never been the editor on uh, but you, you look at the the editor on ptu which is law wing chun mm. who's gone on done lots mm. of other films but he's, he's got a, a his list as assistant director on yeah a lot of the films of this era yeah, yes. uh, for Milky Milky Way. Absolutely. Uh, so I think that line is kind of blurred and stuff. So, so for him, obviously, as well as being like creative, the journey he, he is somebody who is, you know, he, you know, he doesn't need to make films anymore. And if he's not able to make films in that Milky Way anymore, and if he's not able to make, you know, if he's very limited in the choice of films he can actually make, then I I don't know. Ho- hopefully, we'll see more stuff from him. But I would be a bit surprised mm. if I'm being honest. Sadly, I mean, I mean that yes. in a very, very sad way and stuff. I just, I can't really see more coming, and I'm very happy if I'll be proved wrong, you know, on that. But I, I mean, Office was okay. Uh, I, like I guess Office. it was okay. It was interesting. I, I saw that in, I actually saw that in Hong Kong, um, in three D, and it was not bad. And three was I didn't like three very much, and didn't gel did it no it, it, it didn't gel it, at all no and i think it was another one of those ones which was trying to you know be a hong kong ish kind of film but at the same time being okay to release in, in other markets not one other market in particular <laughs> but, which is a real, which is nice a real shame well. yeah there's the rub, not... he's not a director who has anything to prove anymore because he's you know he's been in the industry so long he's made so many stone cold classics as, you, as we've said like he's he's defined the crime if you have him, John Woo on one side, you have him on the other, you know, it's just, there's not much more you could ever need to say in terms of what mm. they need to do or prove themselves. And uh, if he wanted to make a film outside of the the Hong Kong or now we'd say the, the mainland system, then I'm sure he would be he'd be very much welcome with open arms, but it'd be a lot of hassle for him, yeah. I imagine. So I I don't know, but I'm fairly pessimistic about the future of Hong Kong cinema anyway, so that's tying into my general view. <laughs> From what I've seen, in, uh, what you can really call true Hong Kong cinema, it's very low-budget, small productions only anymore. Yeah, and e- even that one, it's not going to really last, I don't think. But mm, True, that's possible. <laughs> but, he, you know, even, in, but even before... Um, you know, the these kind of recent ones... He, he's, he's, he had a few stabs at other ones like that... Um, you know, life without principle. Uh, so mm. that that was an that was a pretty interesting film, and um, that's probably the last one because that was before just before Drug War, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's yes. probably the last. That's probably the last one where he he really got into the, those kind of moral complexities. Because um, I, I think at the heart of so many of these ones, which we've been talking about, it is just this idea still of like the cop as a an everyday person who's you're running into like everyday pressures, tensions, and stuff, and sometimes makes bad decisions as a result of you know whether it's financial pressure or family pressure or just screwing things up like ptu <laughs> you know and, and i think that that was always something i enjoyed seeing and stuff because you kind of you go from this kind of almost like superhuman john Woo type figures or you go from this sort of clear definition of like you know good and good and bad cops and robbers and everything so that's one of the things that was most interesting about his films you I mean away from like the the wonderful sort of like poetic visuals or the sort of noir look and everything he brought to hong kong which was a really interesting update from the sort of neon and everything of the mm. 90s to this kind of like almost like black and white the use of shadow you know it completely so, so much slow motion in some films but a completely different use of slow motion to John Woo yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean shadow the, the Spyro yeah. I'm thinking yeah. you know the, the sort of jazziness of Spyro and everything which is great to see and and he was still making some of, some of the films he, he's made even in that post 2000 period are pretty whack though. Like, linger <laughs> I wasn't really a fan of Linger. Um, do, you even, do you even remember Linger? <laughs> no. It's the only one from the last 20 years that I've not yet gone to, <laughs> tr- try to, to see, really. I, I can't I do the trouble of acquiring it. I, I, I really, I, I wouldn't, kind of. Uh, it's, not, it's nothing that's bad. I mean, it's not like Chasing Dream or anything, but it's just not. 
it, it just feels like a not even like a cash job because you can't see why anyone thought it'd be popular but he, you know he's so he's not like infallible by, you know, by any means all the way through his cv which is you know fair enough as well um and as that kind of comes down to as we said before like a lot of people just don't know his full cv he's just you know the sort of main ones which have been highlighted or been at festivals and everything which is fair but for this, you know, for that kind of early 2000s Hong Kong, this kind of move into this different type of like crime and action cinema. Yeah, he was he was kind of the master of that because John Woo by that stage wasn't really. No. You know, he, he John wasn't quite happy. Gone stateside and. Buggered off stateside he was making. Doing that. That paycheck, payback. This is a regular skit on, on the show is not remembering what it's called. Oh, I mean, it's paycheck. paycheck. I, it is called paycheck, isn't it? Yes. And yeah, but every time we can't remember for that sure. Is made, that was made in the same year as PTU. Exactly. Well, there you go. That, yeah. that, that, that proves it exactly. exactly. So, I mean, and John, that was his, his, that was John Woo's effort after Mission Impossible Two, wasn't it? Uh, where, where did Wind Talkers come into that? Oh, yeah, that's, that's in between true. Mission Impossible and Paycheck. <laughs> oh, okay. But that just that just underlines. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that either. John Woo went Hollywood, and he's one of the few directors to have sort of maintained a, a certain. You know, profile. Yeah. I was going to say yeah, profile, if not quality, yeah. of making films out there and stayed out there and stayed making films there, which is fine. But, but yeah, at that time, in these early two thousands and stuff, and obviously from you know stuff like PTU and you know Throwdown's not a crime film, but it's a very similar kind of look and feel to mm. PTU. And from those ones, and then you know stuff like Exiles and everything. It that you know really you can see that in so many other crime titles. I mean, you know, like Infernal Affairs and stuff is slightly different because it is. A combination of that kind of plotting but maybe then the visually it kind of harks back to the 90s a bit more uh but so many other films then kind of followed on from what johnny toe was doing at that time and it's, as we mm. said like within this milky way system as well as people who were like ad's who were like editors who were working on stuff were you know moving on to then making other films and stuff and it, it whether it's then all these different periods of hong kong history they've had such a great fucking industry and system for actually bringing through directors all working to you know sort of getting mm. training whether you know whether it is like the old sort of tvb system you know which obviously johnny toe was part of uh, yes. and then you know patrick yeah they were all part of the tvb thing and that's all and that's even all directly thing. from ptu there's a series of five films made five yes, years later those were good as well the, the, ah. those were surprisingly good so i remember when i was running for yes asia getting i, I get sent all of them ah. uh, watched all of them and they're all surprisingly good i mean even though the budgets are a bit lower and stuff, they, they still, you know, they're, they're still actually really good stories. And so they, they don't feel too much like sort of cheap TV movie cash and stuff. They still got great cast and a lot of effort went into the actual stories. And so, yeah, th those were all very good. So. But yeah, without that kind of system there, you know, even if we get another couple of films from Johnny Toe and, you know, God hope they're, they're good ones and everything. Um, that system just isn't there now. Well, I mean, I guess the 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 one last fraction of it is the fresh wave that again Johnny mm. Toe yeah that's true yeah he was set up that's <laughs> right yeah, yeah yeah he was one of the founders of fresh wave wasn't he which was... and he he took advantage of with Trevisa as well yes yeah yeah Trevisa that horror film which is on Shudder <laughs> I, uh, I still love, I still love that he's scrolling through fucking Shudder and I'm sure in a way was that Trevisa no 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 wait scroll back it's trivial. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't even try to say like this is a horror film. It just says something like there's some sinister plot twists. It's not really, no, to be honest. No. But, but you're right though. Yeah, but that's that, yeah. That's the that last kind of bastion, of, and and actually has in its own way been come close to doing the same thing of bringing yeah. some new, young filmmakers, mm. up and coming filmmakers through the the process and. Yeah, Fresh Wave has been yeah. has been for many a fantastic thing. Whether it's the mentorship or whether it's the the efforts they put into and in like getting films to play out overseas at festivals and you know funding the young directors to travel and stuff. So um, obviously it's been running into you know problems over the last few weeks and everything. So you know with films being pulled and directors getting into trouble uh, because like every Fresh Wave, you will always every time there's a Fresh Wave competition or edition you can guarantee there'll be a few films which say we're not covering any hong kong riots but they'll be in the background <laughs> as a backdrop for a story of intergenerational communication <laughs> i know let me i know i'm seeing a i'm seeing a picture of an old grandfather or a father and his young daughter is <laughs> it's quite often a dad and his daughter dad and his, it's usually the daughter isn't it? it's not usually the son for some reason um 
but yeah, we're, you know, we're taking the piss of it. But there, it's still, you know, hope hope that the fresh wave can does can carry on. And, and I think just when you've got these pressures in, it's just it it, it, this makes it ridiculous because mm. you know, as we say, it's such a such a minor backdrop. Yeah, it's just you know, there. It's, it's, just, it's there. not even it you don't see anything. Nothing happens. It's just. So yeah, hopefully that'll continue. But you're absolutely in terms of uh, Johnny Toe. He was instrumental in setting that up, and I think that's always been one of the great things about Hong Kong. You know, for such a you know geographically small area, uh, with such a dense population, to to have had this film industry, which is not mm-hmm. necessarily conquered the world, because it sounds a bit arsy, but you, you know, it's had such an influence over the you know, Hollywood, over other cinemas of other countries, and it's thrown up directors like Johnny Toe, who have. You know, you know who have become international festival darlings, and yeah, you know they made so many great works over the years and stuff. So it's and, and you know in a way like his, you know, it's another one of those directors who you could say truly kind of represents the Hong Kong industry from like the very start of his you know his career, whether it's TVB up through some of the wackier stuff in the eighties and mm. you know through to this you know that some of them the nineties stuff sort of gradually building up towards this kind of uh, as we said like post you know and I think yeah PTU is the film. Where you could kind of draw that line and say, you know, from then on, he was going in this direction. Um, he's been one of those guys who's at every stage has kind of summed up or represented the Hong Kong film industry. You know, so PTU is available now from Eureka uh, as part of the Eureka Masters of Cinemas collection. Um, uh, as Johnny Toe is classified as a master of cinema and not <laughs> and part of their classic, not a classic. Um, <laughs> on UK Blu-ray. Hi there, Stephen here, and have I got a little secret to tell you. All those crime dramas the team have been telling you about, now of course they're great, but the truth is that they are way more popular abroad and at film festivals and amongst Western critics than they are at home in Hong Kong. Toe's Milky Way Image Film Production Company that he set back up in 1996 with long-term collaborator Y Cafe simply wouldn't survive on the kudos achieved by films such as The Mission, PTU, Election, Mad Detective and so on. The secret to Toe's cinematic longevity is a unique business model. The gritty crime dramas with an arthouse aesthetic are fundamentally funded by populist romantic comedies. Fun vehicles for stars like Sammy Cheng, Louis Koo and Andy Lau. And these go down a storm in local Chinese-speaking markets. But you're not likely to see a release of any of these from Criterion or Eureka or Arrow or Masters of Cinema. But armed with a multi-region DVD player, or maybe an internet connection with a VPN that can manipulate your geolocation, you can explore another side of Johnny Toe. To start you on your journey, let me bring your attention to 2002's My Left Eye Sees Ghosts, the international success of M. Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense had an impact even on Hong Kong cinema. Films about ghosts will be popping up in Hong Kong cinemas with regularity. You know, you'll know about the Pang Brothers, The Eye or Leslie Chung's tragically prophetic Inner Senses. You'll also probably know that Chinese peoples have a slightly different relationship with death and the afterlife than we do in the West, so it's not surprising that a filmmaker like Toe went a slightly different route, and instead of horror movie, made a romantic drama about ghosts, about grieving, about letting go, whilst also making it pretty darn funny. Queen of Canto Pop, Sammy Chang, had already been lucky enough to make that move from singing to acting pretty much perfectly, with the Toa Cafe directed Needing You back in 2000, a film that bucked the trend of a slump in Hong Kong cinema, with 
a combination of Shanto's Cheng with Heavenly King Andy Lau winning over the local audience. Cheng and Toe have continued to collaborate over the years, but from my money, My Left Eye Sees Ghosts is the pinnacle of what the pair have achieved together. Cheng plays Mei, whom we meet at the funeral of her husband, whom it transpires has died seven days into their whirlwind romance and marriage to super-rich Daniel. May is frankly repulsive as a character, appearing to be little more than a selfish gold digger, much to the chagrin of Daniel's family. And one drunken binge leads to a road accident, where she appears to die, but is literally shoved back into her body by a passing ghost. Upon her recovery, Mace finds that she can see spirits, at least via her titular left eye, and the ghost that saved her life introduces himself as the ghost of Ken, a child who died in a typhoon back in elementary school. Ken is played by the ever-game Sean Lao Ching Wan, who invests his character with an initial childish high spirit, whilst later sliding effortlessly into the gravitas the plot eventually requires. I'm not going to describe that plot in too much detail, but rest assured, much ghost-related hijinks occurs. Now, I could mention the performance of Sammy Cheng, who is equal parts detestable and adorable in this film, all willowy limbs and dyed hair and every inch the superstar, yet willing to debase herself for comedic effect. And if it made you more comfortable, I could not only tell you more about how good Sean Lau is in this film, but maybe you'd like to know that others in Toe's regular acting troupe make an appearance, including Lam Suet as May's contemptible and money-obsessed father, and Simon Yam in a highly amusing couple of scenes. Oh, and let's not forget Wong Ting Lam, Hong Kong legend, as well as the father of notorious Hong Kong producer-filmmaker Wong Jing. I could mention the jokes, a mix of mole tao and some more decipherable comedic moments. I could mention the genuine moments of touching drama and character growth that pepper the film's runtime. And all these things are important, but the icing on this cake is, well, the twist. The clues to the twist are pretty much in every scene, but whether you unpick the mystery or not, you'll have a satisfied feeling once the truth is laid bare. And if you don't get it, then a second watch is absolutely revelatory. Showing you that every comedic moment, every bit of oddness, every costuming choice is there at the service of the story. I'm going to level with you. I'm pretty sure most Asian film critics dismiss My Left Eye Sees Ghosts as a side order in Toe's cinematic smorgasbord of quality films. But again, go and explore, give it a chance, and I promise you, you'll see that Toe deserves his place at the very top table of directors, and his alternate career is about as much more than funding his dirty little crime habit. Add on to some Eastern Kicks picks. What have you got for us, James? Well, I've got quite a few things again. As you know, we seem to con- we're continuing, especially Netflix, picking up more and more stuff. And uh, I have to say, becoming easier to find <gasps> than it, well, I know King Shark. Man, Are you sure they just haven't updated the app so it knows you a bit better? Actually, what actually what I'll say, <laughs> no, no, I mean joking. So what I'll say is that um, I now search for stuff on my laptop because it's different accessing through a browser compared to accessing it directly on my TV. So I, I find it much much easier to, to actually come across stuff. I mean, it's some stuff is still buried in there, but uh, either they're improving or it's just the it's easier in the browser. So I add stuff to my list through the browser. Now. It's there <laughs> when I go back to the TV. TV but we've now got a whole bunch of stuff uh, like the the eighth day, a new Korean horror, which is another kind of not quite the wailing or that Svaha the sixth or seventh finger. 
I can't remember mm. how many fingers there were, but it's another one kind of like that with a bit of exorcism, some sort of shamanism and stuff. Uh, the mimic as well, some of those. Yeah, yeah, it's so yeah, it's more on the, the sort of I don't know. It's, it's built as being kind of a mystery thriller because it's it is kind of a horror film, but it's very I, it's okay. It's just very slow moving, mm. and, and some of its horror elements are a little jarring. But it's an interesting one to see on there. And it is just under two hours, which is a plus. 115 minutes. Under, 115 minutes, so that's not too bad. Um, Dynasty Warriors, or Dynasty Warriors, is on there now. <laughs> well, you know, the, the video game adaptation from uh, Roy Chow, director of Murderer, which, <sighs> which every everyone who likes Hong Kong cinema should like Murderer, of course. But we can probably do an episode on Murderer. I think we should do an episode on Murderer. So we won't talk too much about it now, but I think we should do an episode on Murderer. A spoilery episode on Murderer. But he did stuff like Nightfall as well, so he seems like an interesting choice. I haven't watched it yet. It's got, you know, obviously Louis Koo in there. I think Lam Sweat's in there as well, Karina Lau, Philip Kyung. So it's it's another one of these ones that's, I believe it's in Mandarin. (laughs) So I don't know. I'm going to watch it. It looks like a a CGI eyeball burner and everything. I doubt it's going to be great, but I will I will watch it and duly review it for Eastern Kicks. Um, Japanese one called A Family, uh, which is directed by someone I hadn't heard of, uh, Michihito Fuji. Uh, apparently won a few awards for stuff, like The Journalist, a couple of years back, but I honestly haven't really heard of him or her uh, before. This is not a Yakuza one, but it seems to, it's supposed to be like a much more realistic one, like a kind of epic, longer film about some young guy who joins them second stage he's in prison and third stage he gets out and you know the yakuza are less relevant now so trying to you know find some way to you know sort of make ends meet and everything so it's supposed to be pretty good yeah um eric matty's on the job has been added oh really finally yeah Yeah. yeah, exactly it's been i haven't seen that for years but it's that's still one of the best not just filipino but one of those you know having talked about johnny toe and it's this is a completely different style but yeah it's a fantastic film I mean, there were always, there was, I think even back when it was kind of screened at festivals, there was talk mm. about a US remake. That's right. Yeah. Which yeah, never yeah, seemed to have happened. Right. I mean, I like Eric Miette. I mean, he's a fabulous mm. guy to interview, I have to say. Um, <laughs> but he's, um, I, I like his films as well. He's a solid I do. filmmaker. I do, I do as I well. I like yeah. Favre's are solid. Mm, mm, mm. Um, so there's some, some horror stuff as well. Some of it very wacky, some of it more almost kind of old school Italian. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely a horror guy. Things, from yeah. some, some, going by, I mean, some of the just the interviews I've read and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we also have the the second season of Naked Director, the Japanese AV series, which is pretty popular. It's been added, but the main thing I guess people are looking forward to is that New Kingdom one, like Ashen of the oh, yes. North. That's right. Which is coming in like in a couple of weeks' Think, time. Uh, which is kind of a, it's it's a, a special episode, isn't it? I think it's out, yeah, it? it's more like a special extended episode. I don't, I don't think it's even a mini series. I, I don't think it's more than one. But it's not being called a film either. So which hopefully means it's not two hours twenty minutes long. It has a lot of crying in it. But. <laughs> to be fair, this both seasons were not much longer than the average. That's each true. they Absolutely. weren't much longer than I, the average Korean film. Absolutely, which was definitely to. Kingdom's benefit, yeah. you know, but I'm looking forward to seeing that. So that's landing in a couple of weeks. Um, I don't know on Amazon, which conversely has become even more difficult to find anything on. Uh, I did find Johnny Toes Three on there. There you go. I'm not yeah, going to yeah. watch it again, but it's on there. It's on Prime as well, so it's it's not like a rental one. And I found the Swordsman, you know, the 2016 one. Okay, yeah, that was the Derek E. Derek E. one, yeah, yeah. Which very is, CGI. It I think, is. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the. It's a shame. and it's a remake of the Jewel. Yes, it's a remake of... Um, uh, Jewel to, hang on. It's not Jewel to the Death. It's Death Duel. Death Duel, that's Death it. Death Duel. There you go. Um, which he was the lead star of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's... And it's uh, I haven't re-watched it when it Death came out. Death Duel's a great film. That's, that's, a, one of, that's, that's a, a fantastic... That's a classic. Um, film. Film, Absolutely. Um, and for this one, it, I remember watching it when it came back in what, 2016. And mm. It's... Yeah, it's a bit awkward just because of the CGI. Because mm. you can tell it's going for the same... Like imagination and stuff is the old school stuff, but the CGI just doesn't massively work. But um, I might check it out again. So um, and then I gave up trolling through Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That, that's it. Plenty of stuff on Netflix, um, and which hopefully will still be there at the time of listening. <laughs> <laughs> no guarantees, man. No guarantees. Have you uh, seen or come across anything that you've uh, uh, would like to tell us about, Kai? Um, yes, if I pronouncing it right, uh, Jagamethandiram. 
which is a, a Tamil film by Karthik Subaraj, uh, starring Danush, and takes place in UK for the most part. Okay. Because uh, uh, as he says, Danush has uh, in the trailer also uh, gleefully, I'm going to be a Tamil gangster in the UK. <laughs> or, or in London, I think he says. Yeah, fair play. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a really, I don't know, I really liked it. It's a really interesting gangster film that turns into a drama about immigration and the fate of the Tamil uh, population of Sri Lanka. Wow. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Um, there's also there's a lot of typical action scenes uh which uh, you now they have to be your uh, you have to have the taste for that <laughs> very <laughs> particular kind of Indian action. Although similar to Toe, they when they shoot their guns, they stand around a lot, uh, looking cool. So <laughs> there's that link, I guess. Where did where did you see that? I think it's on Netflix. Okay. Mm, cool. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Um, it was originally supposed to have a theatrical release in India, but then uh, they released it on Netflix instead. Mm, okay. Cool. So that's it for now. Thanks to Kai for joining us on this episode. Yeah, thanks, my pleasure. Don't forget you can find all our previous episodes on Apple, Amazon, Music, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. <laughs> but for now, there's just one thing to say, and that is cheers. 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 <laughs>